And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the show this morning. Of course, it's the Hump Day edition of The Real Investment Show. And it's also FOMC Day. That's right. Today's the day. Meeting started yesterday. This afternoon, we will get the policy announcement. I mean, the, everybody's just focused on this one thing right now. So just you might as well just get out of drinking game today because all day long it's going to be, what's the Fed going to say? What are they going to do? Look, reality is they're not going to do anything. They're not going to hike rates. They're not going to really change their statement much at all, if any. And it'll pretty much be uh, the same idea that it's going to be, you know, for now, rates are where they need to be. And we're watching the incoming data. Um, expectations for a rate hike in the next meeting has already been dropped down to about 30%. So again, you know, it's probably now to the point that the realization is that the Fed is done hiking rates for now. But again, we'll have the, conver- the, uh, the announcement out this afternoon. They also released their projections uh, for the quarter as well. So we'll take a look at what their projections are for inflation, <coughs> employment, and economic growth. Um, in today's uh, announcement as well. Then, of course, the presser this afternoon, and that's what really the markets will be glued to, um, every word that Jerome Powell utters as he kind of fumbles and bumbles around trying to not upset the markets at all, but try to answer questions about inflation and uh, kind of what the Fed's next policy stance is going to be. So, again, we're getting to the point now the Fed is pretty much done. The, 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 the real question is, is, when will the Fed start cutting rates again, right? That's going to be the real choice. Of course, they're not going to cut rates, as we've said before, until uh, there's real signs of economic weakness or there's some type of financial trouble in the overall market. And so that's going to lead to this uh, switch, so to speak, between overvalued stocks and undervalued bonds. And it's always quite interesting that when something's undervalued, nobody wants to own it. When something's overvalued, everybody wants to buy it. But uh, that's just kind of way that, you know, kind of market psychology works. So we all want to own the stuff that was performing. You know, we don't want to buy the stuff that is undervalued now and it's going to perform uh, in the near future. So but that's just the way markets work and market psychology works. And uh, it just it, it, it's what makes investing difficult. Um, outside of that, of course, um, you know, there's not a lot going on economically right now. Um, kind of a slow week on the economic data front. Um, also, as we start to wrap up this month, uh, we are now wrapping up the third quarter. So we're going to start getting some of the end of the quarter data getting into October. So really kind of getting a look at GDP and, um, you know, what that's going to look like for the quarter, spending deficits, all those type of things. You know, right now it all looks fine. And as we talked a little bit about yesterday, it's going to ultimately be the revisions to that data that tell us a lot. And this is always the problem with the Fed, right, in particular, is that the Fed is working on lagging data, first of all. So they're looking at employment from last month or last quarter, or they're looking at GDP growth from last quarter, and they're making assumptions and policy on this data um, rather than looking forward and saying, okay, this is where the data was. Now, where are we going to be? That's where we need to be, you know, kind of setting up our policy. But they're, they're operating off this, this lagging data, which is flawed to a very large degree because of all these seasonal adjustments and things that we do to them. 
um, and we won't really realize that till after the fact. And that will take about another year. We'll look back and say, man, you know, economic growth wasn't nearly as strong as we thought it was, or maybe it was. We'll find out. Um, but this is why Fed policy is almost always wrong down the road. We look back and go, well, they hiked too far. Uh, they cut too much or they hiked too far. And the reason was is they were operating on this lagging data that turned out not to be the case. And, and of course, you know, they think the economy is a lot stronger than it is because that's what the data says for now. Uh, they think unemployment is very low because that's what the data says right now. But once we get these revisions back in, we're going to find out that, well, you know, employment wasn't as strong as we thought. Wage growth wasn't as strong as we thought. Economic growth wasn't as strong as we thought. And we over and the Fed over tightened policy. And that's why there's always a mistake and ultimately this kind of repayment for that, those issues down the road. And again, this is just what the, the, the ultimate outcome is going to be. But we won't know that until we get later into next year. So again, you know, a few more months of, of this kind of uh, maturation of just, you know, beating around the edges here of, of what the Fed is thinking about doing and, and what the, the markets are going to respond to. But speaking of the markets, this is what you need to know before the bell this morning. Of course, today is FOMC day. So again, market is glued to this fact about what the, the, what the Federal Reserve will say this afternoon. Uh, but as we said earlier this week, the market really just kind of hanging on to kind of just where it is right now ahead of this policy meeting, not really wanting to make any drastic changes whatsoever. And the market over the last couple of days in particular has just kind of stayed at the same level. Um, yesterday, um, the markets actually, you know, opened a little bit stronger, sold off, and then rallied back towards break even yesterday, the day before. We had rallied strongly, sold off the break even by the end of the day. So again, uh, for the last two days, the market's really gone nowhere. We just simply stay within this very tight kind of consolidation range that we've been in and kind of this key support line uh, just continues to hold. So again, despite what, the, you know, kind of all this chopping and volatility that we've had over the last couple of days, markets just really kind of continue to go nowhere, at, uh, at, you know, for the moment, waiting on to see what the Fed's going to do. Uh, importantly, though, as we said yesterday, and again, this continues to kind of be the case, we have this very con confined consolidation range that the market has been compressed into. So really, whatever this announcement is today likely is going to lead to a directional movement in the market in one direction or the other. If the Fed comes out, says something that is extremely hawkish, um, suggesting that they're going to be hiking rates even more, right, because they're really concerned about inflation, uh, that's probably going to send the market to the downside here, breaking out of this consolidation range, retesting these lows that we had back um, earlier in uh, August. If the market comes out and, and, and basically says, the Fed comes out today and says, you know, hey, we're staying where we are, we're pat, um, nothing really too dovish, nothing really too hawkish, probably the market's going to remain a little bit consolidated kind of right where it is. Of course, a more dovish statement, uh, a flat out statement, we're done hiking rates as an example, kind of like the, the ECB just did recently. That can certainly lead to a breakout to the upside. Um, as we've talked about, we're wrapping up the seasonally, kind of the seasonally weak period of time. If you'd invested a dollar on September the 19th, going back in history, over the, the period from the 19th of September through the 1st of October, you generally lose about 1% of your money. Um, over that period. Of course, once we get into October, things start to improve rather dramatically in terms of returns through the end of the year. 
Um, and again, as we talked about, we'll also be kicking off earnings season. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of things that continue to support a move higher in the markets here uh, through the course of the rest of this year. But in the short term, uh, we have certainly a, a good bit of risk here um, because of just the, the, we're in that period of time. So there is some downside risk. You don't want to, uh, don't want to discount that entirely. Uh, a move down to 43.60 on the S&P 500 is a 100-day moving average. Uh, that's certainly well within the realm of possibility here. Get a little bit more of a sell-off, get markets more oversold. And then that sets, again, sets you up for that rally into the end of the year. Um, but probably the most likely outcome is just kind of cons- continued kind of a consolidation here. Really not moving up, not moving down a lot. And, and then we'll, we'll move into a better period as we get further out there. Um, so again, that's what you need to know before the bell this morning. When we come back from the break, we'll pick up with Danny Ratliff. Uh, we've got to talk about, have you been investing in bonds all wrong? There's kind of an interesting article out this morning talking about um, a different way to invest in bonds, but can you actually even do it? So we'll talk about that this morning uh, with Danny Ratliff along with some other topics. So stick around, more of The Real Investment Show coming up right after the break. you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show this morning. Danny Ratliff joining me, of course, uh, as he does every Wednesday to talk about uh, whatever he wants to talk about. Good morning, Danny. How are you? Hey, good morning. Great. Uh, kind of an interesting article, though, as I uh, left off. There was a interesting article on Market Watch this morning talking about ha- have you been investing in bonds all the, you know the wrong way, and it's making an interesting kind of an argument for international bonds, which you know based on volatility and you know relative and, and again uh, the international bond markets are bigger than the U.S. bond market by itself, um, and over a long period. Over the last 30 years, there's been a very slight outperformance uh, by investing in international bonds versus domestic bonds. Um, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting article from the standpoint that it brings up the kind of this aspect of diversification and talking about how to uh, invest in something. And, and again, you know, hindsight's always perfect, right? So we always look back over time and say, well, if I would have bought this 30 years ago. Um, I would have done had this rate of performance. Now, you know, 25 years ago or 10 years ago or 35 years ago, you know, it always depends on when you pick your starting point um, that, you know, these results can change. So always take these articles with a grain of salt um, to understand that uh, kind of where you are. But they do bring up an interesting point, though, talking about the, the diversification of your bond portfolio, investing in foreign bonds. Um, but it's not as easy as it sounds. So you've got to be real careful here. But Danny, before I get into any of that, your thoughts? Well, I, I really enjoyed the part that, you know, the foreign bond market is much larger than the United States market. Well, of course it is. Yeah. I mean, we're only a portion of the, the world here. Um, you know, and, and the bond market in general is much larger than the stock market. But, you know, they put it in and said, okay, well, you know, looking at it over longer periods of time, the return has been, and it's really not that far off if you look right. at the actual return. It's like 305% return over 30 years versus 288%, right? Yeah. It's, it's 4. not 8, 4.8 versus 4.6 4. annualized. Right. 
But who's holding that bond 30 years? I mean, I do have clients that buy bonds and say, I don't care if it's red. I don't care if it's green. I'm going to hold it till it matures. I'm in it strictly for the income. But they're probably the exception to the rule. Well, and there's also a big differential is that this article is not talking about owning individual bonds. Yeah, they're talking about owning a fund. Yeah, you have to own a bond fund. And this is the hard part. You know, this is the hard part that investors have to understand. It's like, oh, you know, I heard that investing in international bonds is great, so I'm going to go find an international bond. Well, that's great. You go buy a, a bond issued by a foreign corporation. Nothing wrong with that. Okay, except for the fact that you now have to also not just hedge for interest rate risk and interest rate changes, you also have to hedge for currency risk. Mm-hmm. And that's the big part. And that's the big part. And I think that's the part that it, people fail to consider when investing internationally is that what is the currency risk when you actually bring it back to dollar to dollars? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think that's what people typically don't. They don't factor it in. And right. so, you know, when you look at these and you, there's a lot of really good international bond funds out there. But we also have to consider the geopolitical events that they encounter, where their economy is, what is going on in those regions. And, you know, I think right now we're probably getting closer to making an argument in some ways, especially with sovereign debt, that mm-hmm. you could probably look at international because many of the international, you know, look at um, people's uh, the, the China. Right. Yep. They're, they're likely not hiking any longer. Right. Um, United ECB, Kingdom. ECB, yep, ECB yesterday. Yep. Yep. Said they're not hiking anymore. So do you get in that environment? Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to go out and just start, you know, cutting rates. I mean, the same thing that we're waiting on here. What's the Fed going to say? I think everybody's, you know, waiting on pins and needles at the moment for what what's the Fed going to come out this afternoon to say. And so are you closer there? I think we can make an argument. Maybe. Right. Because we're seeing rates that are Mm -hmm. probably going to decline a little bit quicker. The economies are slowing down much quicker than what we see here. But. What's the risk? Well, and again, so there's not, you know, and again, if you want to do this, and we talk about this before, is that, you know, there there is a time and a place that, you know, there's a lot of, you know, uh, articles out about, and we were talking a little bit about this yesterday about, you know, S&P index fund and trying to get the lowest cost index fund, et cetera. And it's all fine and dandy if you're buying an index, but there is a case to pay for a really high quality mutual fund manager that if you want to own international bonds, you know, that has, you know, and buy it buy a international bond fund where they can go out, they can buy these bonds, they have the access, they have the research, they have all these tools to make sure you're getting good quality credits, but then also have the capability to hedge that current currency risk. And there are bond funds out there that are hedged for the U.S. dollar. So the, those dollar changes don't impact your foreign bond. So instead of trying to go out and find an international bond to buy yourself and having to do the currency conversion and having to hedge for the currency risk, it's worth paying the fee to go find the best international bond fund manager, whoever it is, and 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 make that that bet if you want to take that take on that risk of international debt. So you know, but there, there, and it's always the case. There's, you know, there's times to pay for a professional, and if you're just buying an S and P index fund, buy the lowest cost S and P index fund. They're all the same, so you're not getting anything. You know, if there's if, if two index funds, one is half a basis point and one is a quarter basis point, buy the quarter basis point S and P index fund because they are the same fund, right? Just one charges more than the other, and that that additional charge is going to impair you over the long term on returns. 
But when it comes to something that is very esoteric, like international bonds or anything like that, consider paying the fee because you'll wind up probably doing better and, avo- and more importantly, avoid whatever that risk event is when it occurs that could take a large chunk of money away from you. Yeah. And so just to give a little bit more perspective, I mean, if you look at what's happened internationally, what's happened here domestically, you know, we'll make it really easy. Go to Vanguard Total International Bond Index Fund, their admiral shares. It's got a 30-day yield of 3.29 versus their core bond fund, which is paying just over 4%. Right. All right. I mean, so you're getting four, say just over 4.91 for a domestic fund. Now, year to date, the United States fund is is underperforming. Right. But when you see the Fed getting closer to cutting rates, I mean, it depends what you're in there. Are you in it for the yield or are you in it for the appreciation? Right. And what's your time frame? Correct. Well, again, this is what I was just talking about a minute ago. You know, if you take a look at valuations on on the stock market index right now, um, valuations have been rising because obviously stock prices are going up and earnings are actually weakening. Um, so even though earnings, earnings estimates are going up here short term, they've actually declined a lot from last year. So valuations are rising. And at the same time, you have very undervalued bonds. So you have a a market where you have very cheap debt and very overvalued stocks. And yet, what does everybody want to own right now? They want to own the stocks. So, you know, this is kind of the interesting thing. Yeah. And you made a good point about talking about cost. This is interesting to me. So Vanguard's expense ratio is 0.11 on the international and it's 0.20 Mm-hmm. on the U.S., which is right. typically the opposite, correct? right? Because you have to have boots on the ground. You have to have more resources in different areas, so it is more costly. So generally, international costs more for a, a company that's domiciled here versus you know investing here domestically. Now, so, now just one thing to, to note, just to wrap this, this conversation up uh, on this topic, is that you're buying an ETF, right? So you are strictly playing the interest rate on international debt. Because you don't own the bonds. The, the ETF will never mature. You never have a set date where you get your principal back. So the one thing you have to factor in is like, great, I'm going to add international bonds to my portfolio. I'm going to use this ETF. It is strictly a bet on the movement of interest rates. So you've got to be betting that interest rates on, on international debt is going to move lower, pushing bond prices higher. That's the bet you're making. Because it's a, it's a little bit of a misnomer that, oh, I'm going to buy it for the yield because right now you said the International Bond Fund is paying what on the 30-day yield? Uh, 3.8, something like that? 3.29 versus 3, 4.91 okay. on the, the core bond fund. So it's a misnomer to say I'm going to buy this ETF and I'm going to get a 3.29% yield. That's what it pays today. If prices go up, the yield comes down. And so you your yield will go down as prices go up. So again, you don't you don't own the bond, so you don't get the yield that it's stated today. That will change as prices change because you're, the yield is simply just a function of the price and the underlying bond So and the coupon. So that's all the yield is. And it's just a mathematical calculation. So you don't lock in a coupon when you buy it that day and say, oh, I'm getting 3.29% on this on this international bond ETF in my portfolio. I'm going to get that for the next 30 years. That is not the case. Yeah, so as yields increase, your yield will increase, but your net asset value will decrease. And so that's something mm-hmm. I think that's very difficult. I visited with somebody the other day, and they showed me the portfolio that they currently have a bonds. Really good portfolio, I thought. Okay. 
but they're like, I got all this, I've got some red on here. And some of it was like really small, like yeah. talking hundreds of dollars yeah. on very large portfolio. I'm like, man, I would not have any heartache over any of this. But so we kind of talked about like how the bonds work in general. And I think that that's a problem. You know, I, we deal with this every day and we try to talk in, in really layman's terms in a lot of ways so everybody can understand. And I know sometimes we can talk inside baseball, but when you own that individual bond, it's really important because you can one, lock in that yield and you can two, you know, if you hold it till maturity, you will get your funds back. Assuming we're not buying some fly by night, you know, junk bond. Right, right. Um, so there's a big difference between that fund and, you know, owning that individual bond because if yields decline, you may be really happy that you're seeing a lot of green on when you look at your statement, and you pull it up online, but you're not getting as much from that income. So are you going to sell some? You Are you using it strictly for the income that it's providing you? And so that's where you need to think about it. And now international, I think in particular is one where, like you mentioned earlier, you probably want to hire a money manager because let's face it, these guys do this day in and day out. They have a much better understanding than most people of the international markets. Mm -hmm. And so you likely don't want to go out there and try to do this and then worry about currency conversion, whatnot. It's much better, I think, to buy that international fund yeah. in that aspect for it, most it, people. Right, right. If you if you want to own international bonds in your portfolio because you think there is a good bet there that interest rates are going to decline in Europe, which is not a bad bet, then international bond funds, that's the way to go. Um, all right, come back from the break. New retirement bill calls for brokerage window warning. What the heck does that mean? I don't even know. Daniel, tell us. Don't go away. That's right. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show this morning. Happy Wednesday to you as uh, we get the FOMC day underway. Uh, FedEx also announces earnings today. This will be a big economic barometer, but nobody's going to care. Uh, the only thing I'll be focused on right now will be the FOMC this afternoon. Uh, but FedEx is going to announce uh, their earnings today. So their outlook will be very important, particularly as we head into earnings season. It'll be a very good barometer about just how strong the retail sales are, right? Because everything you buy, it's FedEx pretty much. So uh, that'll be out this afternoon, so we'll pay attention to that. Um, also, General Mills is worth paying attention to. Cereal. Uh, if people start cutting back on cereal, you know things are getting pretty bad. So pay attention to what uh, General Mills has to say today as well. So a couple of good um, announcements today. KB Homes also is out today, but we already kind of know the story in the, in the housing sector. don't think that's going to change much. But General Mills and FedEx could give you some good clues about where, you know, versus the economic data we're seeing Right, the stuff we're being told, these two companies are kind of good economic barometers of what's actually happening with kind of the retail consumer. So they may either confirm or deny what we think we know about the economy. So again, it's not going to get a lot of coverage because of the FOMC today, but it'll be worth at least paying attention to. So that's interesting. We actually had this conversation in our household, and our kids don't eat a lot of cereal. Michelle wants to make life difficult and cook meals, which okay. I, I appreciate. 
I love you if you're listening. Um, but uh, she said, cereal's so expensive. And I thought, okay, great. Well, what's the alternative that's cheaper? Not don't eating? Feed yeah, don't feed them. I mean, you know, seriously. We throw a bone down, and it's, 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 it's the dogs or the kids. Whoever gets their first wins. Oh, well, the kids aren't winning. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a, I mean eggs, bacon. That's you're not winning on that one, right? No. I mean, Pancakes. where else are you going? Pancakes no. are pretty cheap to make. Yeah, she does do those. But she likes to throw bananas and spinach and all kinds of other crap in there. <laughs> They're he actually lo- good. Yeah, he, he, he loves you anyway. Just even though you put spinach in his pancakes, he still loves you. <laughs> You'd never know it outside. You know, tell the kids the Hulk he sees. It's great. <laughs> Don't mind the chunky parts. Just eat the pancakes. No, she does a good job. Like you would, you would literally never know, with the exception of that they're green. <laughs> But yeah, but seriously, like, what's the alternative kid, to cereal? I mean, <laughs> what's, <laughs> the, what's the indicator here? Like, where do people go? What What do you trade it for? Yeah, outside of just not it, eating. No, it's 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 almost egg, like you said, eggs, bacon, you know, everything. It still has to be the cheaper alternative. Yeah. That's where I'm going with yeah. that. It so. probably. It, I don't know. I haven't bought cereal in years because my kids are older now. They yeah. stopped doing that. But you know, it's you know, it is it is a conundrum, particularly you know trying to. If you've got you know three, four, five kids to, to feed, it gets expensive really quick. They're not cheap. I, she sent me something the other day. Um, there was a, a television interview, and they were talking about raising a child. I think has gone up. I can't remember the exact numbers. It was pretty high, but yeah. it's like sixteen, seventeen thousand dollars a year. Yeah, so, I, 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 I would I would probably argue that it's more. Well, it depends. Always, you know, as always, it depends on where you live, right? Correct. But I would argue that that at least here in Houston, that it costs more than sixteen grand a kid to raise yeah you know clothes food school and then because you got to include in that school taxes all the other nonsense that goes on and you got to buy a bunch of school supplies that your kids don't even use they stick them in a closet for people that don't pay taxes to use i don't get that part of any law but you know so there's all these additional costs and then of course you got to run them all around everywhere right you got to be you know the dead uber so you got duber and moober uh driving everybody around all the time so you got gas wear and tear on the car I, I would argue it's it's probably closer to thirty grand a year. So my my middle one is very incentivized by money, and I um, this is good. It, it, it is good, and it's kind of funny. But so at a baseball game, he was just out of it, and I was like, I tell you what, I'll give you twenty bucks every every fly ball you catch. All right, and he goes on a tear. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing getting by him. Nothing. I mean, and, and he's a decent little little player, but he. Uh, he just goes on a tear, and he's looking at me and giving me the money sign from the field. And, um, so, so the others wind up costing you. Well, it, oh, yeah, I've I've had to renegotiate this. Year. <laughs> Let's put it that way. But um, so, I the other day he said, "Dad, you didn't pay me from last week," and I was like, "You're right." Said, "Well, let's start factoring this out. Driving you to practice twice a week, picking your buddies up." Start factoring the gas, and his eyes are just, he's just looking at me like, what in the world? And so, you know, I factored a couple of things. Oh, you had a hot dog, or you had this at the ballpark uh, in between games. So, all right, my estimates, you owe me eighteen twenty-five, And he just kind of looked at me like, what? He said, how do I owe you money? I said, hey, man, this, is, this thing doesn't run for free. And, uh, 
Anyways, he stopped giving me a hard time real quick. Yeah, yeah. But you're kind of never mind. Keep the money, Dad. It's good. But you're kind of teaching him a bad lesson, you know, because you're not supposed to renege on a bet. No, no, I I didn't renege on it. I didn't renege on it. I I ended up paying him, but I wanted I wanted him to understand that you know there's a lot that goes into everything else as well. And so you know I feel like they just feel like everything. Like where do you think money comes from? Does it grow on trees? Does it you know? And and he's really smart about this. I mean, he's the one that I can take like Christmas shopping for his siblings, and people will finally they're like they're like. Dude, do you need money? Let me give you some money because I'll give him twenty bucks for each kid, right. or you know, his brother and his sister, and he will go back and forth and say, "Well, if I go buy this, I can't go buy this for the other one, or I can't." And he'll and I let him spend time because he's doing the math in his head, and um, we've been doing this for several years now. But people are like, "Just get get the toy, you know, go." What are yeah. you doing? Right. I'm, I'm sure I got employees probably trying to hand me money. We're you know? <laughs> there for two hours. <laughs> get him out of here. Yeah, but so. No, I mean, I think that the the idea is just teaching them and having conversations around money, so they understand, you know, how much things actually cost. Mm. You know, because I'm like, how much do you have in your 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 piggy bank? Like, how much are you saving? And right. some some of them will tell me exactly to the to the penny, or where he's like, I don't know, I took some money out to, when we went to, you know, his sister's game, and uh, I bought everybody an ice cream or a snow cone. You know, right. and it's like, well. We need to get better at that. You need to know. <laughs> what if your brother stole your money? You'd never have an idea. And he's like, "Oh, yeah, that's a good idea." Yeah. So uh, when, when my wife got a when my wife got her new job uh, at the company she's with now, uh, she sells LNG. Um, I bought her a money tree, and there's actually a, a plant that's called a money tree that you can buy. And if you water it, it's supposed to bring you good luck. Okay. And that. So every time she brings home one of her her bonus checks or something, you know, from her sales. I'll, I'll, she'll come up and she goes, hey, I, I uh, deposited my bonus check there. I, I go, you're welcome. And she goes, why, why are you telling me you're welcome? I said, I'm the one that bought you the money tree. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so, and she just like storms off. <laughs> She's like, you didn't do that. I did. Oh, that's good. Anyway, uh, are you going to talk about this uh, issue about this new retirement bill or not? You just nah, want to? Yeah, probably not. No, so there there is a new bill that's being pushed out. So it's just introduced to legislation. Jim Banks, Republican out of Indiana. It's the Providing Complete Information to Retirement Investors Act. And so essentially what they're trying to do is warn participants before making potentially risky investment decisions. And so what this is really focusing on is the brokerage link within a lot of 401k plans. And so we actually really like the brokerage link if used properly. What this allows plan participants to do is you may see it. And in fact, I visit with a lot of people who have no idea they have access to this, but essentially what it allows you to do is go set up a separate account within your 401k. Like we'll use Fidelity, for instance, which custodies funds for us. They will allow not all plans, but some, if the employer allows it, they'll allow you to go in and invest outside of the set lineup or menu that they give you that you can invest in. So you may be able to only invest in ETFs or mutual funds. You may be able to invest also in individual stocks, occasionally individual bonds. That's not often the case, but it gives you a lot more flexibility. And so what they'd like to do, and they've also been really big on pushing for, you know, you've you've got the two parties really, you know, battling right now. Democrats want you know, ESG investments and big focus on this. Republicans are focusing on, you know, not having that weigh in as a factor of what, you know, we should be investing in. Um, I think everybody knows our thoughts on that. But what they're trying to do is introduce or require a four-part pop-up warning to be displayed, right? And so basically it'll pop up and say, hey, you know, this is outside of the plan. Mm -hmm. You don't have that fiduciary 
cover of like, you know, listen, it's important, but at the same token, those investments can be risky. If you go buy a S&P 500 fund in the brokerage link or you buy it in the actual, you know, investment choices, the risk is the same. Right. You could still, if the market goes down 50%, you're going to lose 50%. Um, but this is just making people aware because I think where people go wrong with some of this is that they get, they invest in very uh, speculative investments inside that brokerage link. And so to, in order to prevent people from making poor decisions, you know, that's why they're trying to show that. Well, no, I think it's a good idea too. You know, the, and it, look, if you're going to take risk in investing, do it in a taxable account rather than an IRA. Don't take your risk in an IRA. Don't take it in a Roth IRA. Don't take and particularly don't take it in a Roth IRA. Um, don't take risk in your 401k plan. Take it into a taxable account because at least in a taxable account, you have a couple of options. One is if you lose a whole bunch of principal you can go deposit a bunch more money and get yourself back going again, right? So you can kind of like re-up at the gambling, uh, the, the, the craps table. Um, the other thing is you can write off the losses, right? So at least you have some tax advantages. So if you lose a bunch of money in your taxable account, you at least have some tax advantages there. But in accounts like your 401k plan, which you've got limited contributions to every year, um, a Roth IRA, which you have very limited contributions to that are growing tax-free over time, you want to be the most conservative you can be in those accounts, right? You don't want to lose a whole bunch of principal. So, you know, be more conservative in those accounts. Take your risk in, in, in your taxable account. Yeah, I hate seeing, you know, the thing about these brokers links I see a lot of people do is they'll get like triple levered, you know, triple Qs and, yeah, and so buy Bitcoin funds and, yeah. and all this kind of stuff. And they wind up losing a tremendous amount of capital in their 401k plan that, just it really impacts negatively your your future retirement so yeah and i can make an argument that you want to be aggressive aggressive within that plan but you need to do so very thoughtfully and have a plan to do so and how you're going to do it you may have your funds in there more conservative but you're investing while markets are down yeah. much more aggressive yeah yeah absolutely all right quick break come back wrap up the show danny riley don't go away Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show. Getting ready to wrap it up for today. Of course, uh, FOMC Day. That's, that's the big thing. Um, but outside of that, we also have this looming government shutdown we're talking about as well. You have the United Auto Workers strike going on. Just lots of stuff happening, right? But we're all focused on the Federal Reserve and what they're going to say. Um, you know, the big question, of course, is can we achieve the soft landing, the proverbial soft landing, um, which is actually a very rare situation. It's something we're writing up. I'm writing an article about right now as well. But, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where, Everybody refers back to 1995 because it's the only period in time where the Fed actually theoretically achieved a soft landing. But again, as we as we mentioned yesterday on the show, you kind of have to, you know, define what a soft landing is. You know, yes, the economy didn't slip into a recession until 2000. It was delayed getting to the recession, but you had long-term capital management blow up. You had the Asian contagion. You had just a whole variety of other issues. And it strung together three negative years. And exactly. Um, so, you know, it's, you know it's, it's just a function of 
you know, kind of how you define a soft landing. But nonetheless, we'll use the the kind of the media measure, which was there wasn't a recession. But, you know, we'll we'll see if the Fed can do it this time. Um, but this is going to be the, the real question at this point. Yeah. And so so thinking about that soft landing, I mean, it's, it's interesting to think about what is the what do they consider a soft landing? Right. No you recession. Well, right? you had a terrible a year last year. But not a recession. You had a quote unquote technical recession. I know we could argue on that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We can argue about it. I mean, two consecutive negative quarters of GDP. Right. Technically, that's what most people would call a recession. Technically, yes. But I know. But the, you. But you had strong employment. That was the. That was correct. The, the the differential. Right. At least for the National Bureau of Economic Research. The reason the National Bureau of Economic Research didn't declare that a recession was because you had strong employment. Because everybody quit and everybody <laughs> got laid off prior to it, and they said, "I'm out of here. I'm not in the labor force anymore." Yeah. I mean, think about how many people you know that were laid off during the pandemic. They were near retirement age. But I know a lot of people that were anticipating working five more years, 10 more years if it allowed them. And they're like, man, they downsized, they cut expenses, and they're still retired to this day. Now I have some that have gone back to work. But there's a lot of people who would be or able mm -hmm. and willing, but just couldn't find a, a job for hey, several years and said, also, I'm out. Right. And there was also a lot of people that were near retirement that were offered really good yeah. packages to go ahead and retire now during the shutdown. Oh, we had a lot of conversations and, and still, you know, we're talking about people near retirement and some who they hung on a couple more months and they got a huge package. They're like, yeah, I'll go, I guess, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so then they got paid for a whole another year when they were anticipating to be retired anyways. So, I mean, that's one thing that you need to consider if you're looking at, you know, potential retirement. What's the state of affairs for your your business? And, you know, is that a potential something that they may be discussing in the future or not so distant future? Right. And some people may just say, hey, it's not worth it for me. I'm going to get out of here. But I do know, I mean, I probably count on both hands easily the amount of people that stayed on and actually ended up with that severance package, which is pretty nice. But I think that the landscape has changed. I mean, clearly job market was much different. But, you know, we look at the overall broad market. I think this is an interesting conversation, too, when you just think about market returns. Because, you know, if people aren't out of jobs – they're not as worried about anything else. They're just worried about the returns, mm -hmm. right? If everybody's out of a job, we're thinking you're probably helping a friend make ends meet. People are, you know, everybody faces or knows somebody's facing some type of economic devastation. But when we think about just the markets, you had the bond market down 18% at its worst last year. That is astronomical in comparison to what a bad year in bonds is typically like. Right. I mean, what is that? The equivalent of, those, of like 75, 80% in the stock market? Right, yeah, no, it's uh, last the, the drawdown in bonds last year was the worst on record going back to 1787. Okay, so so you have the equity markets, you have down 18, 19 percent the S and P, 33 percent for the Nasdaq. I mean, that's not insignificant. Mm -hmm. That's pretty big. And now this year we've seen a run up, but even if you were just just say you bought the Qs last year, and you're down 33. What do you have to make to get back to even? Right. You're well, no, still not. But, you're still but, not there. But no, this is. And, and but this goes back to the conversation we had before. You know, everybody focuses. And 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 look, the, the, there's nothing wrong with this because this is what the media teaches everybody, is that you only focus on the return from January the first to present. Nobody ever looks back to last year, right? Oh, and last year, you know, if it was prior to January first, doesn't matter anymore. But for most people, they're still down from last year. Right. You know, just so, you know, the markets haven't recovered 
what was lost last year. We've had a big return, right? We we really did good a good job of you know, getting back about two thirds of what was lost last year, but we still haven't recovered that. So if you started investing January the 1st of 2022, you're still negative. Yeah, right. So, you know, this is always the problem with measuring things from January 1st to present and going, okay, I'm going to make all my decisions based on, you know, the last return, the returns over the last nine months. That's a really bad way to look at your returns. Uh, you want to look back, you know, over three, four, five, six, seven years and say, you know, how have I done relative over the time? Am I hitting my my hurdle rate? Am I am I achieving towards my goal? And that brings into a lot more focus about your asset allocation and and you know minimizing drawdowns and those type of things. Well, I think it's also the risk that it entailed to get those types of returns. So you would have had to have been out of the market last year, jumped into the market this year, mm-hmm. right at the beginning of the year when it, nobody wanted to be in the market, right. And if you can recall, at the beginning of this year, every major analyst, prognosticator, you know, portfolio manager said, first half of the year is going to be rough. Second half is going to be great. We had one of the best Januaries we'd seen ever. Right, right. I mean, it was fantastic. And then everybody came out about March uh, or just right before all the bank failures and said, whoa, hey, this is going to be a really good beginning of the year. Right. Um, you know, then we'll, you know, they kind of flip flopped on it. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, you had the, the crisis, the bank crisis. And then everybody was like, okay, you got to get back out again yeah, because you have the bank crisis. This is this is the moment, right? We're back into 2008. And then immediately that was over and the markets take off running again. So, you know, this, this is the whole problem, though. It's just been a very challenging year overall. Yeah, markets have done well this year, but it's been a very bifurcated market. It's the, the, the vast majority of the returns this year were driven by those top 10 stocks. If you've owned, and we've talked about this before, if you've owned a diversified portfolio of any sort, your returns are much less than what the overall market is because out of the entire S&P 500, 490 stocks really aren't participating all that well in the market. Yeah, and and bonds are still down for the year. Mm -hmm. And and that could change, um, but it may take some time. We'll see what the Fed does. I think that's going to be a big part. So what is, you know, there's no big catalyst for, if we get a government shutdown here October 1st, What's the incentive for these guys to get it done outside of, you know, just the regular stuff? They don't have any big deadlines that are, you know, right ahead, anything they have to necessarily get done. Could this be a longer shutdown than what we're accustomed to? Well, we've been through these before. And and again, it's, it's always going to be the political pressure. Yeah. So, you know, and again, the, and, and again, look, you're, you're going to hear a bunch of rhetoric out. And you're going to see a lot of headlines out. It's like, oh, my gosh, you know, this is the end of the world. It's not. We have these government shutdowns all the time. And 79 times since 1960. Exactly. And and we'll have the government shut down and the Republicans on one side are going to you know pound their fist on table that they're going to cut spending and they're going to do all this other stuff. The Democrats are going to say, we need to spend more and we're not going to agree to anything. And then when we get down to you know kind of the, the midnight hour, then everybody will cave and we'll just sign a clean continuing resolution. And you know, increase spending by 8% across the entire government platform will then bring back all the furloughed workers, catch them up on all their back pay, uh, increase our debt some more, and then we will have this behind us. So, you know, it may take a month. It might take two weeks. It just depends on who, it's all going to depend on who caves first, but it'll ultimately be the Republicans that cave. I mean, be careful with the information you get, because you're going to hear a lot of things like, oh, you're not going to get your social security payment. Yeah, you will. Or, Military is not going to be paid or, yes, they will. you know, I mean, all these things, I mean, interest on the debt be paid. Yeah. yeah.
Every, and this is why, this is why, you know, every time we have these government shutdowns, you'll hear this. And the same thing that we, remember, we went through the same conversation with the debt ceiling debate. Everybody was like, oh, you know, we're going to default on our debt. No, we're not. Yeah, in June. Right. We're going to default on our debt. No, we're not. Because debt's going to get paid. Mandatory spending gets paid. Everything else gets cut, right? Just, uh, defense spending, discretionary spending, all that gets cut. So this is why every time we have a government shutdown, you know, there's all the wailing and the crying and, and, and the, the, the panic over shutting down the national parks because that's what gets cut, right? The parks, we lay off 900,000 or a million now, uh, what they call non-essential workers, right? Again, as I always say, if you're non-essential, why are you have what a job? You, yeah. What are we paying you for? But so we'll lay those guys off, right? But that's where the cuts go. It's not going to be, you know, you're, you're, when somebody comes out and says, oh, well, we're not going to be able to pay the interest on the debt. Yes, we will. We're not going to be able to pay Social Security. Yes, we will. We'll pay the military. Yes, we will. Because that's mandatory spending. It has to be paid. And we have a printing press, and we will print the money to print it and and to pay it. So, yeah, don't, don't fall trap to those headlines. When things get dire enough, then everybody will cave and we'll pass a continuing resolution. Because we don't do budgets anymore. We haven't done a budget since 2008, since Obama took office. We don't do budgets anymore because we have no fiscal responsibility in Washington so we just pass these blank checks that we spend money with. That's not how this works. It Budgeting. does now. That's how Personal. it works now. It used to not used. It used to actually not work that way. Yeah. Back in the day, we used to actually pass bills and you know have you know no deficit and it was pretty amazing. Yeah, but to get back to those to yeah, that period happen. of time, I mean, you think about the financial calamity you'd create. Oh, you could do it. It would take. It would take. You, you don't get fat overnight. You're not going to get skinny overnight, yeah. right? But you could work your way back to a neutral budget over time. You're not taking it from my constituents. Well, exactly. Like, that's the problem. I'm taking it from Brent's constituents. Yeah. Well, that, that's the issue, right? If you have lifelong politicians, they're not going to allow that. Right. This is why you need term limits. But I agree. That'll never happen either. <laughs> I'm glad I'm almost dead. <laughs> oh, man. Listen, you're not almost dead. You're not about to retire, so you're good. Next year. It's all over next year. Anyway, Danny, thanks so much. All right. Thank you. That wraps up the show for the day. Uh, be sure and get by the website. Michael Lee Woods' latest articles on the website now. Uh, unpacking bond yields, what it actually means, where the yields come from, what drives them. It's all on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. He'll be here tomorrow to talk about the Fed's decision this afternoon. Uh, we'll also touch on those FedEx and General Mills earnings tomorrow as well. See what they say about the economy. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow.